maybe that's her is that her like uh housewives intro line oh yeah somehow or other i'll be famous and if not famous notorious and then like one of his little rep boys are in, is in the back while it goes dun 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 yeah Hey there, thank you for tuning in to Library Hours. My name is Reed Bryce and I am a gay trans dude who lives in North Hollywood. I think that's about all you would need to know about me before we get started because to be honest, uh, what are these sort of self-indulgent little podcasts but just, you know, time capsules, diaries? Uh, and, and I figure I could do a big spiel to let you know everything about the podcast, but essentially all you need to know is that I'm going to be doing my best to make sure that this is something that is actually helping the community. Uh, I also really strongly believe in the Fight for 15 movement. I think the minimum wage is way, way, way too low nationally. I think even $15 is not cutting it uh, for the people who have to live in big cities. Uh, just so you know, uh, they estimate that it costs about $156,000 to be able to live comfortably in Los Angeles County. Yes, that is right, $156,000. And I, I'll let you know, I do not make anywhere near that amount of money. But what I can do is I can uh, try to raise the money or I can just pay out of pocket and I can have a couple less luxuries uh, the, that month. And I can make sure that if I'm bringing somebody on my show, that they know, uh, even in a tiny monetary way, that their time is appreciated. And then I'm going to fill in the gap on, on, on the amount that I think that they're worth with paying attention. Because God knows I could use the practice at listening to other people better. And if you are tuning in, you might feel the same way. So thank you. So every single penny of profit that I will be making on library hours is going to a mutual aid called Solidarity and Snacks. They self-describe as a raging mutual aid crew distributing supplies in Skid Row every Saturday. And that's the Skid Row that's in downtown Los Angeles. You can find them on Twitter at Solidarity Snacks. That's Solidarity spelled the way it usually is spelled. And then Snacks, S-N-A-X. And I just want to say to the people who do that work, as a child, I didn't always know where every meal was coming from that I was going to have. You are very appreciated. And that's all I'll say on that. Okay, enough sentimentality. I cannot handle it, my little brain. Let's get back to the fun stuff. I actually had my eureka moment of what I wanted my first episode to be about when I saw a tweet from my friend Michael Sullivan. He's a former entertainment journalist at Variety who now works at a PR firm helping companies talk less and brand speak. And if anyone wants to take my lead and follow him on Twitter, you can find him at Sully Has Thoughts. That's S-U-L-L-Y. T-H-O-T-S. So yes, let's get into my interview with Michael Sullivan and the topic of celebrity apology. So, uh, how you doing? How you doing, Sully? Uh, how's your day going? What, what's what's the hap? It's nice to see you. I feel like I haven't spoken to you in truly forever. With the pandemic, I don't think I've seen anybody in a long, long time. So that's all right. But I'm very happy to see you. What what have you been up to lately? Uh, like watching or playing? What what are you obsessed with right now? Watching or playing? I actually. So for probably much of the last year, I've I've had a lot of ideas of projects that I wanted to do and not and not gotten anything done. And then in the last couple of weeks, I've sort of overcorrected and now I'm doing um, a lot of stuff for me. I'm like trying to pick up, I, I used to study Japanese. I'm trying to pick up Japanese again. Oh, wow. That's, that's amazing. I, I'm doing French and so much closer to our, to, to, to the English language and etymology. So you are, you're taking a much bigger leap in, in, in your learning process than I am. So I would call that active. Yeah, I, I have a few years under my belt. I just um, have forgotten all of it. So it, so I, I've kind of in a more concerted way been picking that back up. I'm like, 
doing some writing for myself. I'm um, studying for the GMAT because I may go back to grad school. I'm having kind of a crisis of, uh, I'm spinning out is the truth. You're, you're, you're wanting to know, who you, and it was actually one of those sort of uh, statements that you made over Twitter that inspired me to invite you on the show. Uh, you made this text uh, or the tweet the other day that said, you know, uh, every time I thread tweets together, Twitter tries to get me to start a newsletter. And I thought about making one about celebrity apologies because I work in PR and most apologies are bad. And I thought it would be fun to explain why they're bad and how to make a good one. And, and that immediately intrigued me, which is, uh, which is a good segue into our, into our main, in our main topic today. Cause you, you work in public relations, right? I do. Yes. I work in public relations for, uh, brands for companies for the most part. I, the, the celebrity thing, um, I, I, uh, I have a background in entertainment. I used to be an entertainment journalist right? and I think, um, apologies are really fascinating because well, one, I mean, why do we like celebrity gossip? Because that's sort of minutia of people fighting with one another is sort of intrinsically interesting. But as a coda to that, I think the apology is really interesting because people are really bad at it. Oh, well, people are very resistant to making them. I know when I'm in my ego the most, it's when I'm least likely to want to be looking at my own culpability and things. <laughs> oh my God, me too. And and this is this is why I go back and forth with whether or not I want to do this column because like I'm also somebody who gets in his feelings and I feel like I could very easily be the person who's like, I don't have to apologize for shit. What are you talking about when I really do? Oh yeah, I, th I think I've been, uh, the number one thing I've been working on over the last couple of years, especially as I present more as a dude, is I know like apologies are so rare and, and, and the ones that are without equivocation are like almost non-existent, especially in American culture. I never ever hear a dude say, I'm just, I'm sorry, I fucked up, I shouldn't have done that and that's it. You almost always have to hear about the intention or, you know, what they ate that day that made them that way. And so when you when you were talking about the, the, the subject of apology and celebrity apology and cancellation and all those sort of things, I, I just really got my, my motor revving of like, how can I be a better person in accepting my own faults and maybe like, you know, like you said, mapping that onto celebrities that way we do in order to humanize them, uh, you know, through their bizarre stuff that they go through. Uh, maybe we can get some insight into ourselves or if not, at least have a good time for an hour. <laughs> we don't learn anything. Funny that you bring up equivocation because I, I, in gathering my thoughts together about, about the subject, whether or not I'm going to do this column, um, that's actually point number two of a good apology is it doesn't equivocate. Right. So, so you're totally right. Like, it's a lot of like, I'm sorry if, like, I'm sorry if you were offended or I'm sorry, but I was having a bad day. Like, no. Do you think it's harder for, for uh, celebrities to get away with stuff today? Mm. They're expected to have this direct uh, sort of dialogue or it feels like a dialogue. It's usually actually like much more constructed and one-sided with, with their public as opposed to like, you know, uh, the celebrity of, of yesteryear where you would be like a, in a, co in a uh, like a celebrity uh, gossip column and you would, you would talk to one reporter. Now you have an entire like internet coming at you if you, if you misspeak like a Chrissy Teigen or, or whatever. Yeah, totally. No, completely. Uh, it's a really interesting question because this was this, uh, came up in response to the uh, tweet that I posted. Somebody else was like, oh, it, what is an apology if not to, to help someone dodge accountability? I don't know if I'm answering your question exactly, but I'll finish this thought and then you can tell me. No, that sounds that sounds exactly where I'd like you to go. Okay. <laughs> so I, I think the framing of like, oh, you know, is it harder for celebrities to get away with something? Is it harder for them to dodge accountability is kind of missing the point of an apology. I think a good apology is about owning accountability, not about dodging it. I think if you go into it, thinking that this is your way out of something, then you're already coming at it from the wrong angle. Whereas 
if you're trying to make it part of your narrative um, and part of something that you're owning and trying to do better and, and, and correct for or overcorrect for, then you're coming at it from the right direction. And you're coming at it from a very honest place. I think of, uh, I don't know why this example just popped into my head. It's a really odd one. But do you remember um, Asia O'Hara's finale performance at Drag Race? She tried to have the reveal of the butterflies coming out. And unfortunately, unfortunately, she did was not able to test it because it involves live animals. You know, trigger warning for all of that uh, of like a bunch of uh, butterflies died or flopped out of her boobies. Was that what it was? And it was in her bra- brassiere and she had like a hatch or something. I remember. Yeah. But uh, what were you going to say about that? It was in a few places. Yeah, she had some in her brassiere. She had some on, on, I think, a corsage. And the idea was her body warmth would, would. Um, I, I think, uh, for um, we're getting way too in the weeds on this, but for butterfly-related stunts, you kind of chill their bodies so they they get almost like cryogenically frozen, and then your body heat warms Ooh. them up, and then they flutter away. But I guess she wasn't wearing the costume in enough time for them to. Uh, thaw. So yeah, the Encino Man moment did not happen. Oh God. This could be completely spurious rumors. So I I should caveat uh, before I have to apologize. So in any case, um, it was a disaster and some butterflies were uh, unfortunately stomped on. And, um, and she, you know, came out with a big apology. She made a big donation to the ASPCA. And then she kind of has fun with herself making jokes about butterflies and butterfly motifs. And it wasn't about her uh saying you know you should cut me some slack or or if this had gone right you'd all be gagged she said uh no i really fucked up (laughs) this is a huge mistake and i deserve kind of the the clowning that i'm getting and um and i'm not trying to i i don't wince every time somebody says butterfly in my presence i own it as part of my narrative and i'm not trying to dodge accountability for a poor choice that i made i'm making it part of my narrative and so that's what i think when, when it's like you know, do do um, celebrities have a harder time getting away with things today? Yeah, probably. But is getting away with fucking up the goal, or is owning the fuck up and and making it part of your narrative and and um, committing to to uh, doing better? Um, just better for everyone. No, I think that's such a fascinating point. And especially you like, uh, including the detail about how she made a donation. She was like, here's a material change that I'll put out there to show my, my, my good faith towards changing as a person on that mistake I made. Uh, and all of this, uh, I was wondering if you, if you would humor me, uh, because, uh, I feel like there should, there can sometimes still be a little bit of a sting, especially for any celebrities that someone's a fan of, or that we still like very much want to humanize as we should, we should not dehumanize celebrities, no matter how fantastical their lives are, you know, uh, but I thought maybe we could, uh, maybe go back in time a little bit tonight and I could, uh, maybe, uh, recount some historical celebrities who made some major missteps in their, in their, in their lives, uh, that led them to their ego where they did not at oh. all, uh, you know, uh, make a donation to the ASPCA afterwards and did not <laughs> go, did not allow themselves to be clowned on and the repercussions that happened. And you can kind of let me know where your PR mind would be going as we go. Does that sound good to you? It's like a PR quiz. Oh yeah, no, this is so, this is like so game show, Cordy. Uh, <laughs> but I, I figure, uh, I, I I just want to also like let a little of this, uh, you know, gay icon uh, history not go to the wayside to, to the children who might be listening. And so- I'm gonna, the- I'm gonna whiff this so bad that that I'm gonna talk myself out of even doing this project. But yeah, let's-, let's- Oh no, let, let, yeah, let's demoralize you further. That's exactly the point of my show. <laughs> let's make me have to apologize for clowning on 
These, you said these are historical figures? Yeah. I, and and I want to let you know, like, the whole reason I started this show, and it's so funny that you that you uh, admit to feeling self-conscious and not in your element, is Library Hours is uh, named after, besides just the stupid name on my name, Reed, uh, is when I was a little boy, I often was bullied so severely I would like in The NeverEnding Story, I would run into the library. It was my only safe haven. And the librarians would have to, like, kind of be like, no, you're all right, little weirdo, you know, stop. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can hang out in here if you want to, uh, but you know, if you if you you know, you just have to you have to be yourself. And so, uh, I started this as a program where I'd go and talk to my friends who I think are like just the most brilliant and have the most perspective to say you're very well respected on, on, on all of these online uh, uh, spaces. Of, uh, you know, I think that's why you get so much shit from people always in your mentions. You know, arguing with you is I don't think people who have. Uh, unimportant things to say are getting bothered that often, if you understand what I'm, what I'm saying. Mm. Uh, so I, wa- I want you to please have uh, all the confidence that I have in you as a, you know, you're a very, you know, the, all the times that we've discussed, you know, art and, and movies and stuff. Uh, I've, I, I've always thought you to be very, very uh, intelligent and insightful. This is so flattering. Yeah, no, it, it very much is like uh, me wanting to promote my friends, you know, uh, I, I don't want to bring on just people who I think are the biggest names I can get, but I do think that you are well respected. Uh, I, I want to I want to talk about the things I find interesting with the people who I find to be uh, not uh, boring. <laughs> so the first person we're going to talk about uh, probably the epitome of not uh, uh, of someone who is unboring, but you know for the the better and the worst, a Mr. Oscar Fingal O'Flaherty Wills Wild. Oscar Wilde is our first subject. Uh, infamous uh, 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 figure. Uh, the the writer uh, of the importance of being earnest and uh, the picture of Dorian Gray. He was one of those wa- uh, wasps who you know who 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 came from a well-to-do family and uh, you know uh, afforded him the privilege at the time. Sodomy was still illegal uh, in a in a uh, in an imprisonable offense, and because of him, it actually got worse. Uh, for the, the 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 queer people of the UK, uh, so he was somebody who, even from when he was young, he would say stuff like uh, he was on record saying, "God knows I won't be afraid of Oxford dawn. Anyhow, I cannot live without desire, fear, and pain. Self poised, self centered, and self comforted. I'll be a poet, a writer, a dramatist. Somehow or other, I'll be famous, and if not famous, notorious." So like if you've taken a if you've taken a meeting with someone That's like so this, queer. are you are you excited or are you daunted to have someone who speaks like that about himself? That's uh, such a queer. I I love that self framing. Maybe that's her. Is that her like uh, housewives intro line? Oh yeah. Somehow or other, I'll be famous, and if not famous, notorious. And then, like, one of his little rep boys are in, is in the back while it goes dun 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 dun. Yeah, love it. He basically lived about as openly as you can. He had a wife uh, who was uh, the uh, Irish author Constance Lloyd. Of course, he ignored her whenever uh, you know the purse strings weren't flowing for him. His his most uh, notable book, uh, The Picture of Dorian Gray. Uh, th- this was the preface of it, and you can let me know, like. What would what would your be reaction when you when you hear this one of like because remember at the time you had to keep things on the DL DL uh the, the picture of Dorian Gray has a like a very uh obvious homoerotic like love triangle between three men is it, part of is part of the plot and this is what he put in the, in, in the press he said there's no such thing as a moral or immoral book books are well written or badly written that is all 
And, and there's maybe no such thing as an immoral book, but uh, can, can, can the same thing be said for immoral press releases and public apologies? Like, where do you where do you think uh, you see him feeling at all like bothered to 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 look good to the press when he's when he's like, no, I'll put this at the beginning of my, you know, my most like, you know, paramount work. <laughs> so this is a tricky question because you're asking about the mores of the time. And I, I'm, yeah. I'm sure that this is uh, scandalous for its era, but I kind of feel like. Um, today, not so. It doesn't have a lot. It doesn't have a lot of air today. So yeah, it is very hard to, con, to contextualize, and, and without you know comparing it to something that you know today still would have to have a false conflation of like you know people who can consent together. So I don't really want to get into the weeds there. Uh, <laughs> you know, it is at the very time saying like he because he wrote that in the preface. It was published. He was getting ahead of his own bad story, which also you know leads to someone who is very much trying to control the narrative, so to speak. He's yeah. like, here's, here's what's gonna be on the record for me it's my record <laughs> i don't think that's a terrible defense what is it there's no moral book or immoral book there's only good writing or bad writing yeah which is also another very queeny bitchy thing to say of like even you know whatever i'm writing about it's still better written than your book bitch you know i kind of like it i don't know if i were his publicist i'd kind of be like yeah queen go off like that's the uh <laughs> as far as spin control is concerned yeah i don't think it's that bad it's a little bit of um uh, what about ism? Like if, if, if you're bothered by my book, you shouldn't be bothered by its content. You should be, um, bothered with whether or not it's, it's good quality. Or maybe like if you're, if you're reading too much into things, you know, that's a you problem. That's a you problem. Exactly. I do like, uh, as far as deflection techniques are concerned, I, I am a big fan of, uh, if you read that into what I said, uh, yeah, that's not on me. That's uh, that's something that you felt. <laughs> and I'm sure at the at the time, you know, all of these societies were so repressed and, and wound up. I, I think it is only because of appearances that like the the, the actual trial uh, took place. Uh, so basically, what happened was he kindly he finally came up against someone his own size in terms of like this persona that he was building in his own mind. Uh, uh, a large part of it was like a, a public persona that like like a RuPaul character you know how he kind of built that with his partner Matthew at the time where it's kind of an amalgamation of who RuPaul actually is but then also like this fantasy character Oscar Wilde really like literally did that there was a character in a Gilbert and Sullivan show that was based on him and he was friends with Gilbert and so it was sort of a symbiotic relationship where he started affecting this per persona more and more as he just kind of lived that fantasy uh, it, it came to a head when he had this like 22 year old twin college student boyfriend named uh, who was named Lord Alfred Douglas. Yeah. Yeah. No, just like this really lithe little like blonde kid. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, Bozy's uh, dad was the Marquis de Qu uh, Queensbury. He was the dude who kind of gave us the sport of professional boxing. He set up all the regulations and rules as we know them today. So very mask, very uh, straight. Uh, culture sort of dude who did not take kindly to the fact that uh, Oscar Wilde kind of seduced his son into dropping out of Oxford. Basically just, you know, committing, uh, you know, career suicide in his father's eyes and like gallivanting all around uh, Europe, you know, uh, as 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 Wilde was coming to prominence with his, his works that were coming out, like Ernest, doing so crazy well. Uh, and he, he started like harassing the couple up to the point of even breaking into Wilde's home with a body card to like, th like physically threaten the two. Like, wow. Yeah, Stunts. At, at She's time, a stunt queen. 
at the time we did not see anything like this happening it was it caused such an uproar it uh it came to a head when queensberry uh went up to wild at a social club and handed him a card that said uh to oscar wilde posing sodomite and using the word sodomite that was like the legal the legal like term of like I'm putting it out there to everybody that you're doing something that you, by all rights, should be killed for. Because, uh, like, uh, a lot of the time, if you went to an English prison, you were not coming back out. I think the word sodomite is um, really fun and queer. I miss buggerer, because I know Bugger. that was also a contemporary <laughs> yeah, <buggery. term>. yeah. <laughs> That was a big miss. A, a note calling him a sodomite, huge Shuffer. miss. When buggerer is just sitting there on the table, I mean, come on. I do, I will say though, for, for Oscar Wilde, for, for my client, um, this is really great because um, we have a stunt queen and she's giving us a victim narrative. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of places to play off of here because, you know, um, like uh, sodomite or not, if you're breaking into my home, I'm going to use that against you i'm gonna it's unbefitting of a, a, a of a freaking marquee you know somebody who's got like a who has a title yeah and that's really you know, beneath you and and that could have been the direction that wild went unfortunately he would not have taken your very probably the most like uh intelligent uh class-based system advice instead he went all right motherfucker i'll see you on the court and he took him to to court for libel to have him arrested for insinuating that wild might be gay it was while taking another person to court to say how dare you call me gay what evidence do you have and then the uh the marquis de queensberry had a litany of rent boys just come traipsing through the courtroom and he really played up his ego in the court system and uh, and queensberry he did the opposite where he they just went the we were just trying to save our son from this 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 ruin of his life and even like showing the threatening letters they built this whole narrative that like that wild had like helped his son lose his mind that this was like seriously a life or death situation and he was just doing the take and like give me back my son sort of anger Liam Neeson which people can relate to and humanize a lot easier than they could an upper class person who walked in going I'm not gay but if I were I'm not sorry about it like that sort of thing like, oh, God. So he, of course, got acquitted, this Queensberry dude. But in, in the process, by acquitting, that meant what he said about Wilde had credence, that he had, he was a sodomite. And then immediately, Wilde was taken to, to, uh, to court over that. He was found guilty, and he went to a really, really, really awful prison system. And it was awful for him on a personal level, but the generation that followed him it was devastating because now that really, by having a high profile case, it made it more likely that your court, that your your case would go to would go to trial. You know, you wouldn't just be harassed yeah. about it. And then a whole generation actually, and this is something, uh, one of the reasons I want to bring it up is like a whole generation hated Wilde for this. It wasn't until the 1960s that uh, being a sodomite in, in England uh, ceased to be a legal, a jailable offense. Uh, well, and what of those poor rent boys that were dragged through the court because yeah. they're, you know, sodomites by association. I yeah. will say I, it, um, what strikes me most about this is um, this uh, Marquita Queensberry has yeah. a 
a faggot son. Yeah, who was unapologetic the entire time. He, anytime he would come, he'd be like, Dad, get the fuck out of here. Because he was openly <laughs> gay. He was like, I do not Dad, care. Dad, I don't need you, Dad. It was, it was like, there are passages where you just see him go like, get out of here, you little weird man. I'm going to do my thing. It was like that very, it was like, and like that dude did not get affected. The father and son were the ones who were the most open about everything and kind of like laying the cards on the table. Do you think it really was that, that Wilde tried to play up his own grandiosity and, and his celebrity that, because that's what I feel is that he, if he had humanized himself and like kind of let the persona go, uh, he probably would have gotten more leniency as an upper class person. And like the, the red boys who uh, their, their testimony uh, almost got, they had to do a retrial because they of course did believe these uh, lower class people who, if their testimony like deviated at all, Wilde's lawyer threw them under the bus. It was awful. Uh, do you, do you think that it, it really, if he had just like letting go of the wild of it all that he could have like probably gotten away with it? Uh, I mean, by your description, it sounds like it, but you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to think of him as my client now because I just feel like it's so queer and so fierce to be like, I know that, you know, um, if I, uh, you know, act my class, then I can probably weasel out of the, uh, terrible legal repercussions that are coming yeah. my way. But she was like, no, uh, well, she did say, um, you have to prove that I'm queer, but there's a, there, the, <laughs> by just pointing at him <laughs> there's a sort of a there's a like a liberatious quality where it's like it's uncouth to say someone of a certain stature is queer even though it's like i'm sorry look at him like <laughs> yeah you know there's there is the whole like complication of what even gay or queer was at the time because he by all accounts he did have like a good relationship with his wife uh did, was actually like attracted to her but like he just like was into men more and yeah. didn't really want to have the responsibilities as, as a family man outside of like what he got out out of the money from it ultimately uh wild just ran out of money uh you know he he couldn't that he couldn't even uh he couldn't go work obviously he couldn't even get uh rooms and hotels without uh, a lot of difficulty because they were like now you're gonna bring boys in there uh and, and so i don't know if anything cautionary tale uh you know uh, don't don't rat out on on your rent boys when they're supposed to have your back. <laughs> it really tells you that there's nothing new under the sun that the father used the, you know, faggots tried to recruit my son uh, excuse when like that's what people still say today is like, oh, oh yeah. the gay agenda is converting our youth as if um, we could change who people are sexually attracted to. Oh no, you go look at pictures of little Bozy. You're like, no, that's that's gay boy. That is a gay boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving on uh, to one of my other uh, gay boy fascinations. Uh, the next subject uh, that, that we'll tackle tonight uh, before I let you go is one uh, Marie Antoinette. Uh, her her full name, oh, yeah. it's like Wild, uh, have, has a fun name that's like four, 14 names. Uh, Maria Antonia Jofina Johanna. She was born in 1755 uh, in Austria and she died in 1793 in, in, in France. Uh, she is a, is a figure that most people, you know, probably know as a very cartoonish sort of like caricature uh, of the face of the uh, aristocracy uh, before the French Revolution happened and, and feudalism was, was dissolved in France. Uh, what, what do you know about Marie Antoinette? Uh, I know that she said, uh, let them eat cake when the poor uh, asked for bread. Right. 
um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that she was beheaded during the French Revolution. Yeah, and that's usually about what like the American uh, U.S. history system, like uh, education system, is like. That's about all you need to know. Don't think too much about what the workers were going for when they uh, were doing these things. Do 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 do. do. Let's get away from that. Uh, yeah, just uh, it, it's mostly, and it's very funny that uh, her husband Louis the Sixteenth is almost never mentioned much more in passing than like the, the the fact that he made her queen. You know, there's no talk about his responsibility. So I can break down a little bit of like where she was actually coming from for you uh the other place you might know her is from the the sofia coppola film that starred kirsten dunce i don't know if you saw it uh but my my little gay ass did yeah, yeah no, I, it's uh, it's on the list i know i've heard um that it it was panned in its time, but I hear it has kind of a, uh, it's aged well. Yeah, I would say uh, definitely check it out because uh, especially if you are a fan of Sofia Coppola as an auteur, uh, I think that it might be her sort of like, uh, her sort of like memoir sort of like through metaphor of what it was like to be a young legacy of the Coppola family. Because, you know, mm-hmm. she was, because uh, yeah. the, the parallels are basically Marie Antoinette, her mother, after the Seven Years' War, her mother was a, a political figure of high prominence uh, there in Austria. Oh. And they had to strike this deal with France to keep that relationship going so they it didn't end up in more conflict because the war was so terrible. So, like, at, at the age of, like, 14, I think, is when uh, Marie Antoinette was married to Louis Sixteenth, And really, like, she was not necessarily somebody who was, uh, re- like, reared to have, like, a political mind herself. It was said that she could, like, just, just read and write and in her own uh, native German. She couldn't really read in, uh, or write well in French. Uh, so she wasn't necessarily someone who was like, yeah, school's my thing. I'm off to be the next great, you know, queen uh, who's leading like things. She just was like, I'm a teenage girl who suddenly has a husband. What the fuck? <laughs> you know, very <laughs> excitable, very extroverted. Uh, and that reminds me of how like Sofia Coppola uh, probably, probably less like you know explicitly groomed that way. But all of the, a lot of the Coppola children, uh, like Nicolas Cage is like a a, a cousin or something of the Coppolas. Mm-hmm. A lot of them were just kind of like brought up into the industry, expected to know about these things. You know, like Coppola put her in the was it Godfather two or one of them. Uh, you know, so she, so Sofia Coppola has been working since a very young child. I have to wonder if she saw in Marie Antoinette the sort of figure of somebody who was born into greatness just by that inherent proximity and had like a lot of pressure to deliver because what happened uh when Marie Antoinette got to France was uh there was such a big expectation to be strong leaders and at the time the the French corps and Austrian systems were like just show off how rich you are just show by sheer force of your material wealth how well you're going to like do for the rest of the country and kind of ignore the actual material reality of suffering and famine that's going on so like when when she rode up to when she rode up to to, to Paris like apparently she had like over a hundred carriages with like hundreds of, of foot soldiers like three hundred and something horses and like this big parade going in and then she gets there and Louis could not be bothered like the apparently the wedding went terribly uh, a bunch of people were there to witness uh, what was supposed to like including like some archbishop uh, bishop was supposed to be there to watch the consummation of the marriage it did not happen. And nobody could figure out why. Probably the real answer is they were teenagers who were just nervous to fuck, you know? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't end up consummating the marriage for over three years. Oh, wow. Which is a very, very big deal when you are a country that's coming out of one crisis and into another one because then uh, all of the, the farmlands, like, they were not harvesting properly. That's where the starvation started to come up. And I'll tell you more about that let them eat cake thing in a second. Um 
if you are if you are like one of Marie Antoinette's like you know uh, trusted appointees, like how do you even go about, especially for this very repressed sort of like. Uh, I, I think they might have been Catholic. I should have looked that up. Uh, like, how do you even go about? I think it was her brother who had to come from Austria and talk to the talk to the king and, and Marie Antoinette. How do you even broach that subject of like, get to fucking? We need babies. So I think so. There's the question of the. I mean, how do you talk to Marie Antoinette? Like, fuck if I know. But like, how do you spin yeah. it so that you can keep peace and and make sure that the people see that um you know this marriage wasn't for naught. Um, I think there's a uh, there's a sort of um, like bachelor bachelorette narrative here where it's like, you know, Ooh, she's really like looking for love. So if they haven't consummated for the first three years, it's because she's she's in it for the long haul. She's she wants to find love in Louis the 16th. So I, I think there's a there's a good way to to um, to um, what's the word I'm looking for? Quash um, an otherwise negative story by just spinning it as, uh, you know, a girl in a new land uh finding a love in a man and if that takes time you know women's hearts are mercurial and it's really beautiful what she's going through i think that would have been a a very amazing uh way to direct that narrative (laughs) unfortunately that is not what happened instead the two led completely separate lives they were able to like you know finally get it started on trying to have children after three years but like Mm -hmm. he would be awake during the day to hunt and to do like his metalworking and she would like wake up at night because she was a literal party girl like this is a paris hilton of the ages very drag Mm. queen she was the person who really if french style in the court when she got there was all about big uh powdered wigs and makeup she took it to the next level because she had the means and she had like the sort of like just like uh joie de vivre and, 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 yes, and, and to do it so she was uh she made the wigs get so big uh that she would put actual potted vases with water in it that would have would have fresh flowers coming out of it and she had like other women in the court like eventually putting like full-on urns of like their dead relatives in their wigs it was very stunty like is the sort of thing that if you saw it on drag race you'd be like her dead mother's in there wait her actual asses are in there <laughs> I'm surprised uh, nobody's done that yet. That is a serve. Around the time that the famine started really, uh, around the 1770s, uh, there, there just was no food. There were actual riots breaking out over a, a lack of bread. Uh, so there, uh, that let them eat cake thing is actually apocryphal. She didn't say that. Uh, it was attributed to her uh, in a book like a century later. But the, the etymology that I could find for uh, a quote actually was written around the time that she was nine years old in Austria. So uh, it's very unlikely that this could actually be about her because uh that Jacques uh that Jean-Jacques Rousseau he had uh, a book called Confessions uh, uh, uh that said at length I remembered the last resort of a great princess who when told that the peasants had no bread replied let them eat brioches so like how mm. would you go so that my question on this whole thing because that was really great that you brought that up how, how would you be doing the damage control at the time knowing that your that your client was a nine-year-old girl in another country, had no idea she was even going to become queen, and now there's this really nasty rumor going around that while people are yeah. literally starving in the streets, she told them, like, fuck it. I don't, you know, how much can a banana really cost, Michael? $11? Like, that sort of disconnect. How are you doing damage control to let people know, like, no, the queen knows what's going on. She might be wearing uh, a bracelet. Like, literally, she wore bracelets that were worth the, the, the same amount as, like, mansions in Paris at the time. Uh... And she's building this place called Versailles, which, yes, it is worth um, the equivalent of $2 billion uh, in 2020 dollars. Uh, that, yeah, that's $2 billion with a B. Uh, 
But of course she knows uh, what what it's like to be hungry. She's never known hunger. Like what would you, how would you even go like about wrapping your mind on like getting the, the the people to to want to humanize a person like that? Yeah, that's really tough. I think those sort of like apocryphal misattributions loom so large in people's minds that it yeah. can be tough when your client has been associated with one to kind of um, dis, uh, disassemble the two. I will say um, there's a few schools of thought on this. Um, there are some examples and I'm, I'm going to get them wrong off the top of my head. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for one that I do remember correctly, but there is a sort of, there's a way of, um, creating something in the public imagination as a way to, to help your client get out of something. This is, this is like the dark arts of PR. Yeah, no, tell me, tell me Snape. (laughs) So like a good example is, um, uh, one of Nixon's close advisors in the years after Watergate um, uh, uh, did some work in public appearances to, re- to start referring to other scandals as blank gate. Um, so even though Watergate, the, to the water um, it down, to water the so, water. Yeah. So down. even though oh. Watergate was a very specific event named after the hotel that it took place in, once other controversies started be calling blank gate such that nowadays um like you could stub your toe on a step and call it stair gate so by diluting what the gate suffix means it makes watergate seem not that bad and frankly after the like weekly watergate level con- uh, uh scandals that we had in the last administration watergate actually does seem not that bad yeah um that notwithstanding i think something she could do along those lines would try to turn let them eat cake into like a meme of some sort or maybe like a like a tiktok trend or something she does like the let them eat cake dance where she just bounces her butt around in her giant hoop skirts got it exactly so that the bite of the phrase gets a little more abstracted from the callousness of what she actually said and i think that would be a really good way of abstracting um, the words from their meaning so that it's it doesn't have the bite that it that it uh you know that it had before uh i don't that isn't what happened actually wait no, wait, no, no i'm sorry you're telling me that uh that marie antoinette didn't turn let them eat cake into a tiktok dance i'm shocked and no and then she did not have a, a prominent career uh, uh, uh you know uh, on the talk show circuit that is not what happened unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> what happened was the peasants Damn. uh they they stormed bastille uh, kind of dragged them back, and uh, uh, there were there were a few back and forth. There were a couple back and forth attempts where Marie Antoinette, by the way, at this point she's in her late thirties. She's really kind of like had it with the French people, you know. She is not necessarily like understanding of the of the the new uh, sort of uh, government that's being put into place. She thinks it's that it's just a bunch of uh, of lower class people taking away what she has been like, you know you know, thrust back and forth, uh, you know, around having no agency, she actually tried to mount a couple of uh, counter-revolutionary t- uh, attempts where she was going to try to escape back to, uh, I think, like the Netherlands or something with her family, and they just kept getting caught because, of course, the entire time, this is how stupid she was. She'd be like, all right, everybody, we're going to get in these secret carriages. All right, let's make sure that we have uh, a wine cellar or a chest for it. It's going to be big and extravagant. Let's make sure it's covered in jewels. And they would just keep catching her because she could not do anything discreetly (laughs) i'm kind of obsessed that's a that's a real flex to be like i can't even like escape subtly 
Can you imagine Kim K like having like doing something so bad she needs to flee the country, but then she's like, all right, but get the Swarovski crystals on the outside of the exterior of the jet before I leave, and, and but just make sure no one sees it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I respect that drip so hard. Really, I think that's amazing. Yeah, if the drip was harder from you know from her neck because <laughs> on October sixteenth, seventeen ninety three, she was uh, she was executed by guillotine, and that's the ultimate cancellation. You don't come back from that. You know that's no. not a deactivate your Twitter sort of thing that you can walk back. So I so now I'm even like saying like you know uh, how much control and agency did Antoinette have uh, over such a tragic thing, and like you know how much control do celebrities have in their own lives you know can they can they uh, wow because there are are like celebrities that you think about that you're like oh yeah i just only think about you when you do a gig otherwise where are you like uh uh sandra bullock is a a good example like what the fuck is her social media i don't even know maybe she has an instagram where she posts but like uh otherwise i think she just minds her business owns a lot of houses you know, <laughs> yeah. no, that is the best type of celebrity is that you're you're generally well liked by everybody. You you keep your nose out of controversy and people only really think about you when you have something good to promote. That's like yeah. ideal. Oh, and then like maybe you even like are able to get ahead of like, you know, uh, uh, I heard that, like, that Brad Pitt fella, you know, he he kind of owns up to like some of his white privilege stuff by like, uh, he's been like, uh, executive producing or not uh, executive producing, but he's been in, uh, helping to like get a lot of really great movies made and like make that difference there. Do you think there is a responsibility of, of celebrities, especially like the more privileged you are and those sort of like, uh, systemic axes to be Mm. doing those, those, those direct actions that kind of like put your best foot forward as opposed to like putting your head forward, like Marie Antoinette did to get guillotined. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the accountability thing in that sense is kind of tricky. So the the example that springs to mind is um, Scarlett Johansson and Rub and Tug. Do you remember that incident? Oh, do I? I got I got interviewed by Al Jazeera for that. I can play for that because I I I I, you know was able to like kind of like break down all of the the ways. What what were you going to say on it? Because I well, so okay, so all these celebrities have um, they have their own production companies. Brad Pitt, like you mentioned, he has Plan B. Uh, but but most, you know, blue chip celebrities have their own production companies that exist solely to help them find their next um, Oscar project, basically, right. or their next film project that's that helps kind of build their celebrity persona or brand in a specific way. But it's usually for Oscar projects. So when uh, Scarlett Johansson's production company picks up a, a, a project like Rub and Tug, it's to position her to win an Oscar. Right. And then when she pulls out of the movie, because rightly so, it, it's insane that in, you know, what year was that? 2018, 2019, to tell a celebrity yeah. that, like, you really shouldn't be taking roles from trans performers anymore. Um, the project then goes away because one of its big financial backers was her production company. And they don't have the funds to produce movies that aren't in service of their ultimate goal, which is to help position her for awards. Brad yeah. Pitt's Plan B produces tons of movies that he's not in because even if it was founded with that goal initially, it's become big enough in its own right that it can float projects that he's just an executive producer on and say one of those movies wins an Oscar, then he, you know, wins the Oscar for producing it, but not for for acting in it in the same way. Most of these production companies are too small to be able to float that kind of cash. And so I think in terms of celebrity apologies, actually, I think, um, and and you may disagree with me on this one, and, and I think this is a fine disagreement to have, 
um, between the cis person on the show and the trans person on the show. Oh, sure. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, full disclosure, I'm the trans person. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm of the opinion that that hers was actually one of the better apologies. I don't have it in front of me right now, but when I think of good celebrity apologies, it's one that springs to mind because it, it shows a lot of understanding of who she hurt and how she hurt them. Um, and that I think is a really important thing to do in an apology. You want to be yeah. very, you don't want to equivocate and you want to be very specific to demonstrate that you understand who you caused offense to and how you offended them. A lot of people fail on that very simple point. So, um, so I think she did a really good job in that. But at the end of the day, that movie doesn't exist anymore. That role doesn't yeah. go to a trans person because there is no role to go anywhere. Yeah, um, think, and so that kind of sucks. I think I you know it, that that part does suck. Um, it, you know, uh, that was her. I believe that was her second apology, actually, and that one was so good because her first one actually kind of uh, ate shit so badly, and that was why I got interviewed. Was her first one? Uh, she got very defensive, and she took it as sort of a, an angle of. Well, other people have been able to do it. Specifically, she cited uh, that nobody came at Jeffrey Tambor for playing a trans woman, and uh, what she That's did not know. And yeah, equivocating, but number two, that shows that she has she does not have enough trans friends to let her know. Don't bring that guy up. <laughs> that guy lost his job because he assaulted a trans woman on set. Well, you don't even need just trans friends to do that all you have to do is pay attention to the news because even yeah. um jessica walters it was uh, i was jessica jessica walter he had that really yeah you remember with ali ali shock is that ali shock is that how you say her name uh where yeah the, all the men just kind of made uh jessica walter just like cry uh no and like so so that was my clue that maybe that uh, it was I think that was that, also when she said it, it was the like I should be able to play anything I want I could play a tree even something like that yeah which I I also don't want to be con I don't want to be compared to a tree <laughs> <laughs> we're uh, trans people in trees they're huggable and we both want to be out in a field away from cis people so <laughs> I guess I'm like, if it, I, I was fine with the film not being made because if she had that little of a working knowledge of even uh, trans gossip then she probably did, was not getting the sort of reliable information to emotionally prepare herself to play that role in a way that would resonate with the trans audience who we need to be serving more than, uh, I think we should start getting away from doing these trans 101 trauma porn narratives. Uh, Cause that's like the number one thing I hear from my trans friends is like, it's like I don't need to see another trans person's like, like historical, uh, you know, death or or like if they if they live it's in a really weird bleak way like we're just kind of sick of seeing those stories and knowing that that's all we had like the way that i found out uh like how dangerous it was to be trans when i was a little boy because i tried to come out when i was it was like in 1993 or so and my family kind of like shut that down and then uh i think 1999 oh was yeah no i, I i've i've been out and in for a while uh, <laughs> uh it stuck in 2016 uh but in 1999 was when i saw boys don't cry with hillary hillary swank yeah and it was at the time it was exhilarating for me to see but now as an adult I'm able to go back and go like, oh, should that have been the story that I that introduced me to who I was? Yeah. In, in, in a more nuanced way, because I kind of like knew uh, what being trans was through like punchlines and drag queens and stuff like that. That was more of the surface level fantasy, but that was the reality that set into me was seeing 
uh, a trans person be killed on camera and, and that the narrative was very second wave turfish in the way that it even like allowed uh, Brandon Tina's identity to be discussed because it was written by a lesbian who, who even uh, has gone back later and said like she kind of re regrets the way that that betrayal happened. So I'm kind of like, I'm okay if Rub and Tug didn't happen, if it was going to be made for the wrong reasons by the wrong people and for the wrong audience and, and not serving those people. So I, yeah. I, I did like her apology and I do agree with you that she was like like oh shit i'm actually listening now yeah and i think i think if i think you can you can tell when an apology actually works by how well that they listen to the criticism to begin with yes. so i agree with you there. yes exactly yes Oh, gosh. And, and thank you for all of this insight. You've been such a wonderful first guest. I feel very, very blessed to have somebody on. I'm your first? <laughs> yeah, this is the pilot episode, honey. Yeah, no. You didn't, yeah. You neglected to mention that. That's awesome. No, and like I said, I... Uh, I'm so honored. It, yeah, you're somebody who, uh, like, I think I can just bring, like, I, you know, there's not many people uh, as an autistic person, you know, just to get even more open on things of, like, I sometimes bring up very weird points of conversation and often people will go uh, what and kind of just like <laughs> shut it down and so I knew I was going to be nervous for this first episode I wasn't going to know exactly what kind of format I was going to be following I knew I didn't want to uh, like with that whole thing I just said, I didn't want to bring my gay friend on and us just talk about the, all the times that we've had hard times as gay people. I wanted to talk about something yeah. that was fun for us. I wanted to talk about something that was intellectually challenging for us because, you know, we can talk about cele celebrity gossip, but can we ground it in something that's more meaningful maybe? Yeah. It, it doesn't really matter. It's a podcast, but, you know, I, I'm going to be having people potentially paying for this. I want to bring them something that's going to move the needle a little bit in their own lives if I can. And overall, you've just always been somebody who has seen me as I am just without flinching the entire time. Every part of me has never been an issue to you. And I just wanted to say thank you so much. And, and, oh, my God, stop. Even just to profile you for a moment and encourage you oh in whatever God. way to, to please do keep expressing yourself that way. Start that newsletter or whatever you want to do <laughs> because I just think your mind is so great. And I think Thank you. people need to have a wider audience to you than they already get uh, through through Twitter or whatever social media outlets you do. You stop that. This is – I I – I have the, the, the thing of not being able to take compliments well, but this is, I'm, I'm really flattered. And I take it bitch. Cause I, I don't, cause you know me, I also don't have a filter, but you know, I don't often like blow smoke up anybody, uh, anybody's ass. So <laughs> yeah, no library hours is like the way that those librarians kind of like brought me in and said like, kid, you got it. You're great. I wanted to make sure that you know that kid, you got it and you're great. And oh this my has been God. a great thank conversation. You. So thank yeah. you for humoring me. <laughs> no, this is really fun. I, I enjoyed it a lot. And I actually learned a lot. I didn't, I mean, I, I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't know. I, I, I um, tend to think of myself as somebody who studies our queer elders, but like, holy shit, like at this, these stunt queens from history. That oh, I know. Doesn't it make it, I try to like, I'm like, it's uh, the reason is because school made it so stuffy and they took out all the gay stuff. So you just <laughs> Oscar Wilde wrote, so, wrote some play that they weren't, they weren't going to explain half the metaphors for. And, you know, they just told you Marie Antoinette said, let them eat cake when she didn't say that. And they didn't talk about how she influenced like French culture and fashion forever. So, so thank you for, for helping me be a little bit of a nerd that way. And uh, I, I'm going to wrap it up here, but I, loved I, it. I adore you. You and, and thank you so much for taking this time. <laughs>
thank you so much again for listening to Library Hours with Reed Price. If you'd like more information about me, about the show, or about the causes that I am trying to champion, you can go to patreon.com backslash library hours with Reed Price. There, you'll find opportunities to donate if you would like to. And again, all of that money is either going to my guests who were kind enough to come on the show, or it is going to the mutual aid, Solidarity and Snacks. Either way, please know that I appreciate you and take care of yourself. You deserve it, listener. (laughs) Okay, bye.